Paddy, the Paddy and the Ramsey is certainly harder than the BG. I mean, the record times and um, show that as well as, well, the number of completions. I think both have actually seen a sort of, there's been more attempts on them in the last few years, but for, for many years, people just did the BG and then <laughs> maybe they had a look at the Paddy or the Ramsey and thought, well, it's just way harder. You just the rocks on the ra- on the paddy slow people down. The navigation's a lot more fiddly, and then on the Ramsey, you're just talking. I mean, you know, lots of heather and massive great hills. And apart from that, just for the English people, we've got seven hours at least of driving to sort of get up there in the first place. So yeah, it's just it's just a lot harder to sort of do everything with both of those rounds. And I think that's what makes. I mean, the paddy was it's always been quite special to me because. I had a, had one attempt and then got the breast cancer, and then while I was recovering from breast cancer, I was still trotting back to Wales whenever I could and tromping up and down the mountains, um, determined that I was going to have another go and get under 24 hours. That, my friend, was Nikki Spinks, and this is the Inspiration Runners podcast. Hey everyone, how's everyone doing this week? My name's Robbie Marsh, and I'm your host. So welcome to the podcast. We have one of the best female fell runners on the planet this week, triple double round record holder Nikki Spinks, who is one of my running heroes. Nikki holds numerous records. The most impressive to me has to be the triple double round of the Ramsey, Paddy Buckley and the Bob Graham. For anyone who has completed any of these single rounds, you will appreciate how testing this challenge was. A survivor of cancer, she's an ambassador for Innovate. And last year, she had the opportunity to take part in the Barclay Marathon, where she met up with our very own Billy Reid. This is only scraping the surface of her achievements. She holds the 24-hour peak challenge, topping 64 summits as an unknown coming into the scene. She has also won iconic races such as the 170km Ultra Tour Monte Rose, been 12th home in the UTMB, winner of the Grand Prix Pyrenees. The list goes on and on and on, but I think you get the message. Before we start, I'd just like to give a quick mention to our sponsors of this episode, XL Sports. On the 15th of August, they have a great sky run called the Seven Sisters, which is 4,000 meters over 50 kilometers across the mountains in Donegal. I took part last year, can't recommend this race enough. They also have a 27 kilometer event on the same day, which goes from Muckish to Errigal, using the same mountain range, so there's something for everyone. Hope to see you there. Don't want to hold you up any longer. It's with great pleasure I give you Nikki Spinks. This is absolutely awesome, actually, to have uh, Nikki Spinks in the studio. <laughs> I suppose, Nikki, one of the reasons why I sort of started up the podcast was because you really haven't got a clue who is sort of towing the line with you at these races that you turn up to every single week. We had the Christmas cracker, a local <laughs> Christmas cracker, not so long ago, um, that you attended. In de- was that in December? The end of December? It was after Christmas, uh, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the 28th, yeah, the Saturday. Yeah, most probably the worst. Hardest run of the year, most probably after Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was 750 teams in that race. Um, there was about 20 people that had done that race. I counted I'd actually had on the podcast. So there's a, an amazing bunch of people that sort of toe the line at these races, um, but people just don't know them. That's why I try to, I suppose that's what the podcast is all about. Um, so just for a little brief sort of introduction Nikki you're living in the Peak District yes yeah the Peak District Murfield near Huddersfield um have you always lived there no I was born in the south um and then I met my husband 
skydiving in Doncaster. Um, <laughs> and so I moved up here to the farm because he, he's a farmer. What so age? I became... Go on. Yeah, so I was going to say, what age were you then when you moved? Uh, 24. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was 24. I'd been on a farm in Glossop and my parents moved up from Buckingham when I was little, about 12. So I'd spent about eight years on a farm in Glossop. So that got me the taste of the outdoors, really. Um, so, But when I met my husband, I was in an office job in London and really desperate to get out of it. So it was a good opportunity to move north and become a farmer. Yeah, so that's what you're used to and you love the outdoors. And yeah. Sometimes you can find yourself trapped. Yeah. But what about school then? Did you have much of a sporting background back? I didn't think I did, but my granddad um, was running. He was... Um, chairman of the Amateur Athletic Society for Hertfordshire. And my dad did a bit of running as well, just lo- um, like the Carrymores and the Saunders Mountain Marathons and things like that. But okay. I don't, yeah, I think that's it really. I don't know if I got, I know my granddad um, supported me quite a lot when I first started. He, he never pushed me, but he was just very encouraging. Did you do much athletics or anything in school then or across the uh, No, no. Um, I used to get dragged because I was a fairly sort of active farmer's daughter in Glossop. I was able to do most of the sports. I used to get dragged in at sports day to do whatever they were short of, really. But um, no, I never specialised in anything. You were the kid with the big smile on the face. Happy to be there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually enjoyed sports day and everybody else wanted to (laughs) throw a sickie. What about around the farm then when you were younger? Uh, mainly horses, actually. We just had ponies. We used to go riding. So the only time I ran was when I was running to go and get the horse. And... Yeah, but it's quite, it's quite hard work around the farm, though, isn't it? Were you sort of tucking in back then? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were all mucking in as kids um, on the farm in Glossop. Because um, it can be quite hard work, like, can't it? Yeah. Yeah, um... we, we, we used to have to do quite a lot before we went to school. When was, your, when was your first fell run? Well, it was something called the Trunce, which is a little four-mile series that's in Peniston, um, about 10 miles from here. But it's not really... It, it is a fell run. It's in, it's in the fell calendar, but it doesn't go up on the moors and it's not wild and remote. But it got me into going off-road and up and down hills. So that was where I started in 2001. Were you running before then? I'd started running um, just on the road in 2001 and I did a couple of 10Ks around here at the Great North Run and then I, I just wasn't very enamoured with road running. So as soon as I could, yeah, as soon as I found far running, I sort of left road running behind. What inspired you to lace up to begin with? Uh, just a friend, really. Um, I was missing the running. I was missing feeling that sort of feeling of feeling fit. And um, and also we we actually went up in 2001. We went to Scotland to to a 60th, and while we were there, we walked up Ben Nevis, and I'd not been up any mountains, and I, I just felt really unfit. And as a kid, I knew how fit I was, so I just wanted to get sort of back. What? How far was that race? Which the little fell race, yeah. oh, four miles. It was four miles. How did you feel after doing that one? Because that was a I know when I first went into the Hill and Dale race off the road, like it was quite quite a shock. Yeah, it was, but I'm I live in a fairly hilly place uh, in the Calder Valley, so it 
I think there's 500 feet of climb in it, and it, it was fine. Um, I actually felt that I was better on the climbs than on the flat bits. Was there an, e- an instant love towards it then, compared to what was happening on the road? Uh, yes, I think so, yeah. I, I, I just, I've never really got into the, like, the rhythm of road running. So, yeah, I, I prefer the sort of undulations where you change pace and, you cha- and also off-road, you have, you've got different things to think about. Running on the mountains, etc., you know, it just preoccupies your mind, like, doesn't it? Yeah. It sort of elevated very, very quickly, though, didn't it? Because you're talking four miles in 2001. In 2005, then, you sort of attempted your first Bob Graham round. Yeah. So nearly as soon as I joined Penniston Footpath Runners, there was a, a guy there, a runner, Andy Plummer, doing the Bob Graham. And um, I think I joined his, his about his fourth attempt at it. Okay. Um, yeah. And I didn't really do so much, like, training. I sort of thought about it in by about October of 2004 and then went up to the lakes quite a bit over the winter and decided to do it about... April and did it did the Bob Graham in June. I think having Dark Peak, we we joined forces with Dark Peak, and I think having the experience of a of a club like that really helps because when I was having a really low spot, they just sort of said, "Oh, it's normal, just keep going." Yeah. <laughs> this is normal. This no. is how it should feel. Did you yeah. do that attempt on your your own then, or was it a club attempt? No, it was a club attempt. Okay. Yeah. And like we just got in under 24 hours, wasn't it? For those who don't know, the Bob Graham round, it's, is it 60? It's just over 100 kilometers, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's 20. Uh, 60 something miles, yeah. And 26,000 feet. Um, yeah. Because we'd done this last minute.com, by the way, I don't have that much prep, so just correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, um, I'm I, not great on distances and climb because yeah, so nobody else is going to know. quite a lot. Yeah, nobody else is going to know, really so does. I'm going to say something you just agree. I think that's the way we'll move forward. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but there is, the Bob Graham round's got about 26,000 feet. There's 42 fells. Um, it's a great way to do it um, in the club. We have a, a round here, too, which would be great to, to be added to these three classic rounds we're just about to talk to, the Dennis Rankin round. Um, there's quite a few clubs now starting to do that. And right. it's, it's a great way to do it initially especially if you're not um, familiar or comfortable with the navigation of it. And I can't, they, they, yeah. can, they can be quite dangerous, can't they, doing it on your own? Yeah, I mean, now I'm quite happy to, to organise. Obviously, since that, since that Bob Graham, I've always organised all my own attempts and the support and the date that I'm going to go and the time and the schedule and the route and everything. I just I feel a lot better doing it that way. And... Um, yeah, there's only sort of me to blame if we go wrong or anything like that. And the schedule was all down to me as well. So my supporters are quite happy to come along because both of the work I do for them, hopefully. <laughs> they just have to cope with me when I'm in a bad mood. Do you enjoy that part of it, the actual planning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you remember so much more of that than you do of the actual round because you're either concentrating or not feeling great or, or feeling great. Um, but yeah, there's... And everything's just happening, so nobody's really got time to take loads of photos or anything. So most of the memories that you remember afterwards are of the wreckies and the weekends that you have with your friends away. Mm. So it's more of a journey, really, than an actual mm. event from start yeah. to finish. Yeah, I can sort of relate to it. Like, cause I'm, well, I'm not going to say hoping, but I'm going to do our Dennis Rankin rounds 
uh, in the month next year. I'm not going to shout out when. <laughs> um, but at the minute, I'm already doing small reckeys, a little pieces of it. Um, first, you to build up strength, but just to get to know the lines and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually really enjoying that. I'm not rushing doing the actual round because the training in itself is so enjoyable. Yeah, so there's a, there's a few more rounds that I haven't sort of done. Well, there's loads and loads out there, and yeah. I'm just, yeah, um, in, on new mountains as well, so different areas of the of the UK that I haven't been before, so. So sticking with the Bob Graham round then, you, in two, was it, when did you break the record? Was it 2012? 12, yeah, the you, first time. Yeah, you broke it. When you went out for that attempt then, was that, were you going specifically to break the record? Oh, yes, yeah. I'd wrecked it and, yeah, I mean, cause you, if you're going to go for the record, you'll set off at like three or four o'clock in the morning because you don't expect to have to do any dark. Um, so, yeah, that's <laughs> what I was doing. <laughs> um yeah, you've done it in a phenomenal time, though, 18 hours, I think it was 12 minutes. Yeah, 18 hours and 12 minutes, and the weather really came in across Scarfell, and I think if I hadn't been sort of still up on the schedule and, and going to break the record, I'd have just caned it because it was, it was foul. <laughs> but, um, but then the second time I tried to break the, my own record, and it was just really hot that day, and that's when I, I cut my thumb open as well. But um, You broke yeah. it by six minutes. Six minutes, yeah. So how did the end of that feel the last couple of hours? Uh, it was fairly shocking. I, I wondered at times what I was, why I was carrying on, but then I realised I was still going to break the record and obviously I've got to carry on because I'm not a quitter. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it was my best, best friend, Helen, who actually pointed out that I was still going to break the record. So, yeah, we, we sort of we ran hard then just to make sure that I did um, take some minutes off it. So what sort of buzz with that? How do they how do they actually track that? Do they are you recorded via a tracker or is it through Garmin? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think I had a tracker on me for that one. Um, I just had the schedule and my own and my watch. Okay. Except I'd broken my watch when I, I when I fell and cut my thumb. So um, it wasn't that that there was just so many things on that second round that went sort of wrong a bit. So like that. So that's why I didn't know whether I was going to break my own record or not. Um, so yeah, when we got to Honister, I was pretty confused and feeling quite sick, and I just, I nearly gave in then. But then, I, when Helen said to me, "You're still going to break the record," I sort of quizzed her on the times and everything, and then that that gave me the boost to sort of carry on. Good position to be in, though, isn't it? Though, if you don't break the record, then yeah, you, you still hold the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Killian John, then he holds the overall record. But what was your thoughts about? his round because he broke I think it was Billy Brand's record which held for like it was like a 36 year old record Killian broke it by an hour and yeah like it's almost heartbreaking to have that record broken it is yeah but it was going to happen one day I think just the, the fact that I'm going out breaking records and then Jasmine comes along and breaks records the men have got to sort of turn around and go actually we need to do you know we can do this um, and there was quite a few, there was quite a few men going to have a go at the Bob Graham record. Well, there's been other attempts as well. So, yeah, um, yeah sooner or later the record was going to get broken. So I suppose there's no better person than Killian. Yeah, you know he 
And he, he went about it in a good way. You know, he doesn't live over here, so he couldn't do all the wrecking and whatever himself. But um, apparently he was, you know, yeah, a lovely guy to deal with. And I wasn't actually there, so, um, yeah. But everybody spoke very highly of him. Billy Brand, like, going back, like, 36 years, it just goes to show how tough those guys were back then. Yeah, they all had each other to race against and compete against. And... Um, yeah, it was. It was very competitive, and I think that's what drove each one of them on. For those who don't know, there's three classic um, big mountain round, um, rounds in the UK. Um, the Bob Graham round is the English one, um, which is the first one that you saw done. The Paddy Buckley round, which is the Welsh round, I think it's 28,000 feet. Um, some people would say that's one of the harder rounds. What's your thoughts on that? The Paddy, the Paddy and the Ramsey is certainly harder than the BG. I mean, the record times and um, show that as well as, well, the number of completions. I think both have actually seen a sort of, there's been more attempts on them in the last few years, but for, for many years, people just did the BG and then <laughs> maybe they had a look at the Paddy or the Ramsey and thought, well, it's just way harder. You just, the rocks on the ra- on the Paddy slow people down. The navigation's a lot more fiddly. And then on the Ramsey, you're just talking, I mean, you know, lots of heather and massive great hills. And apart from that, just for the English people, we've got seven hours at least of driving to sort of get up there in the first place. So, yeah, it just it's just a lot harder to sort of do everything with both of those rounds. And I think that's what makes... I mean, the paddy was it's always been quite special to me because I had, a, had one attempt and then got the breast cancer. And then while I was recovering from breast cancer, I was still trotting back to Wales whenever I could and tromping up and down the mountains. Um, determined that I was going to have another go and get under 24 hours. When you completed it the first time then, when you were diagnosed with breast cancer, um, did you actually complete it? Yeah, I did, but in 25 and a half hours or something. Yeah, I was was about 20 minutes down on the 24-hour schedule for most of it, so I sort of kept on going. And then, you know, obviously about an hour to go, I wasn't going to make 20 minutes up to that when I just started walking, but I was determined to sort of get to the end and, and know that I could do the distance. The weather was, was foul. It was just really awful the whole way around. Had you been diagnosed before you actually made that attempt? No, no, but it was a, it was a month later, so okay. that was a, a fair shock. Yeah, and just put put a stop to all my plans. And um, what year was that? In 2006, okay. yeah. 2006, just when you were sort of up and coming. That must have been... yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was only 39, so I wasn't really expecting it. I just went went along to the to have all the tests done, expecting to come out about an hour later, and I wasn't. I was there all day. So that was really tough, but for some reason then you decided to go back to the Paddy Buckley the following year. Yeah, yeah, because, well, life doesn't always continue, but um, I was trying to make it continue as best as I could. And I, I know, I think I, I attempted in May 2007, and I got round then in... 23 hours and 55 minutes, so it was pretty wow, close still. that was awesome. Yeah. But that must have been amazing, yeah. though, to be... Yeah. Firstly, not make the 24 hours the first year and then be diagnosed a month after that and then actually to get in on under the 24 hours on the Paddy Buckley while dealing with that diagnosis. Like, that yeah. is just mind-blowing. Do you think that sort of helped you find that situation, knowing that it wasn't absolutely consuming you totally? Yeah, probably. I could always forget about the cancer when I was out on the hills. 
my friends are really understanding and sort of came along with me, even though I think they were slightly worried about me. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, but no, you can you can you can forget about you your worries when you've got um, a route to concentrate on and watch where your feet are being mm. put and or lovely weather and good views and stuff. It makes you feel very present, like doesn't it? And it doesn't like yeah. There's a lot of people dealing with a lot of different things. Um, funny when I done CCC, I got somebody to podcast me, or they asked to podcast me. And one question they asked me was, "Did the mountains find you, or did you find the mountains?" I thought it was yeah. a very unique question because um, when I thought about it, you know, I was somebody that was struggling with a lot of tension at the time. Yeah. And when I go up into the mountains, it just disappears totally. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I mean, I was obviously appreciating it a lot more because I'd got the, I'd got sort of cancer, and so I wasn't sure how much longer mm. I'd be around to appreciate it. So you do take that time when you're out there as well, just to, you know, ten seconds or whatever, um, just to sort of stop and look around. And but you started going longer then, didn't you? <laughs> you started like you went to. Yeah. Is it the Grand so after Ridge? I did all the, the records for all the rounds, I decided that. Well, I think it was that second Bob Graham record attempt. After that, I just thought, right, I'm not getting any faster, so I'm going to go longer and slower, <laughs> see if that's more enjoyable. And up to now, it, it has, yeah, it has been generally. So the part of you, Buckley, you did do, you broke the record 19 hours and two minutes. And yeah. And the Ramsey is the Scottish one. And it obviously takes in Ben Nevis, which is Great Britain's highest peak. It's 28,000 feet, or just over it anyway. And you held the record for that in 2014, yeah. which was 19 hours and 39 minutes. Yeah. Is, actually, not doing too bad here. Um, <laughs> so you're the first person, um, male or female. I don't think any men have actually held the record on all three at the same time. No. And Jasmine being the second, that's we're doing quite well with the women. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, so Jasmine came along then in 2016, and she targeted all three, obviously. Yeah. Um, but there is something about that. I've been watching that over the last sort of couple of years. I remember podcasting Ian Keith two years ago, and we were talking about the rise in female ultra runners. And Jasmine last year sort of hit the news globally. Yeah. Um, with the spine race, um, knocking I think it was 11 hours. Ian Keith came second in that race. And there was a great article I actually read the other day, and it was talking about the female ultra runners. We had Maggie Goodroll on the show as well, who won All right, yeah. Big Dog Backyard Ultra. Yeah. Done a great episode with her. And we had, there was Fiona Kolbinger as well, who won the transcontinental race across Europe. It's almost two and a half thousand miles of cycling. I've been watching the last few years. What do you think it is that's, that's starting to see this shift? Because it, it appears to be a shift. I think it's, it's more to do with the fact that um, in the sort of 70s and 80s, women weren't really allowed to actually run marathons. And there was, I can't remember what date it was, but there were quite a lot of women sort of fighting and entering marathons as men and then being pulled off the course and everything. So if you think about it, we've only just started running our running careers, as it were. So it obviously it takes time for women to sort of think, oh, I can... You know, I can do that. Uh, and also, we, we we don't run the same as men because we're not built, built the same as men. We have to sort of, well, I uh, I think sort of we use our sort of our other strength, like our organisation and our mental strength. 
as well. You know, we're not sort of as physically fast or as strong as men, and we, well, I don't think we could ever really be, but we're proving that if we sort of go about it in a different way, uh, I mean, Jasmine, Jasmine tackled the spine. Um, you know, she knew what her game plan was, and she set out to break um, the Spanish guy. And when she broke away from him, she went for it. And, um, yeah, and it worked. Yes. So I think that's it. And I think we also, because I come along and I inspire people like, hopefully, Jasmine. Jasmine comes along, and there's other women out there, young women just starting running now, and finding that actually they're pretty good at it. And they've just got to tweak this and that and their training and whatever. And, um, and yeah, I, I think there'll be a lot more women coming through. But I don't really know whether yeah. we'll be, you know, we could do as well as the men forever. But, yeah, I, I think there'll be, it's, it's really exciting to sort of watch the women coming through now. Yeah, it's happened so quickly, like, because I've been sort of watching the last yeah. three or four years. <laughs> and all of a sudden, what has happened in the last two years has been phenomenal. It's a bit like the Roger Bannister sort of breaking the four-minute mile and just getting yeah. that belief and exposure. Like the men have been yeah. out there and they've had that opportunity for this length of time. And all of a sudden, people like yourself and Maggie Guderall and Yasmin are now coming and it's not always about beating the men, like, but <laughs> it helps. <laughs> and it, it gives... Well, no, I suppose not, yeah. But if you, if you tend to be the, like Jasmine says, she's the top woman, so she's got to target the men hasn't she <laughs> because she does hold the record doesn't she on the one of the rounds anyway i think it's the ramsey round no it was broken oh was it by, yeah by his treasurer jasmine actually helped him right. uh, i can't remember what the time is so i don't know what way to um, think about that jasmine held the record and then she helped somebody to break the record so yeah i don't know if we should give him it or not <laughs> so you'd complete the three rounds jasmine come across then and then she beat she had broken all three rounds you decided then to go into the. <laughs> I find this hilarious, to be honest. Like the double, the yeah. double rounds. It wasn't good enough to get the record in the first rounds. So to to do a double round, so you actually beat the overall record in the. Yeah, I mean, I, when I went, when I wanted to do it, I just wanted to get under forty eight hours. My schedule wasn't actually for breaking the the record because I didn't. You know, when you're setting out to do something that you don't even know you can do the whole I didn't even know I could do the whole distance let alone at, at any particular pace um I was going into those you know the realms of like two days worth of or three nights worth of no sleep yeah. Friday Saturday well no Friday and Saturday and then finishing before midnight on on Sunday so yeah you're nearly nearly into three nights without sleep so I had no I no idea what effect that would be um what what effect that would have on me. So, yeah, when I went into it, I wasn't really certainly not going for a record. I just wanted to finish it. And, and under 48 hours was the target. And then as it was going, like, the first day went really well. And then, obviously, the lack of sleep caught up with me. Do you sleep at all during that event? Uh, Ten minutes, yeah. <laughs> so on Sunday morning, um, I had one leg. It was the Fekel back to Keswick leg. It was the 2 a.m. to sort of 7 a.m.-ish leg, which was typical because that's when you're supposed to be asleep and it's the second night you've not had any sleep. So your body's really, like, complaining bitterly. Adam Perry sort of said you should have a... He kept going on at me about a power nap. And I've never, I'd never had one in my life before, so it was like a last-ditch attempt to, to try and sort of pull it round. Although 
that was a, it was a confusing thing at the time because I never actually felt I never actually felt bad. I just I felt bad, but there was nothing actually wrong with me. My legs and my stomach and everything were fine, so I couldn't really understand why I felt so shocking in my head. And I didn't have any confidence in carrying on. I think that was the worrying thing. You know, I knew I'd got sort of 16 or 18 hours to do, and I didn't didn't somehow think I could do it. But the 10 minutes was un- unbelievable. I dreamt of ice cream, and I woke up and just sort of straight away <laughs> I was far more positive. <laughs> um, and I've done it since then, and in 10 minutes is... Yeah, usually, well, sufficient for me sometimes. Just to, I did it on the Tour de Géants this year. Six, like 16 to 18 hours, it's amazing like how your mind switches, isn't it? Yeah. You know, from going from, you know, there's no way we could, we're going to get this in 16, another 16, 18 hours of this. I can hardly go on um, just for taking a 10 minute rest and then getting that bit of motivation. Like, Yeah, no, it was quite I, didn't, I wouldn't have believed it myself. And Adam Perry was actually sat just the other side, about a mile other side, sort of just because he nagged me and nagged me. And then I think he just went and sat and, you know, it was up to me then really to to, to either do what he was advising or not. And when he, he said when he saw me running down the road towards him with a big smile on my face, he knew everything was going to be fine. <laughs> so what, what do you do? I really struggle from, you said there that your stomach was really good. And from that perspective, it was, everything was working well. What do you fuel on on such a long event like that when you're up in the hills? Well, I tend to go for sort of normal food and then a, a couple of gels um, if I've got a big hill or something to climb or if if I am having a bit of a dodgy time with my stomach, then I can always get a gel down, which just keeps me going for a couple of hours or an hour until hopefully I can sort my stomach back out again. Um, but no, I tend to go for just like brunch bars or the caramel wafers, the tonnet bars, um, and rice puddings, fruit salads, and baked beans. I can usually yeah. stomach one of those. The rice puddings being something that I have found has, has been a bit of a savior yeah. for me because when I you get those small tubs of it, when I take it, it seems to settle the stomach as well. Yeah, and no, I'm just fairly strict with myself as well. There's, there's really no such thing thing in I, I'm not allowed to sort of say I can't eat there's no such uh, you know there, there isn't a, such a, <laughs> a thing of course you can eat you just don't want to <laughs> um, so you've just you've got to so I go for the every half an hour I've got to have a small thing which is a, a couple of jelly babies or something and then every hour I've got to have a big thing and that's um, like a rice pudding or a fruit salad and if I just keep that going um, then that tends to work the sort of rule that i stick to as much as i can and then how does your body fare out with the downhills because there's a lot of i you always talk about the ascent in these things that bob graham round had fifty four thousand feet which is almost yeah. double everest but to me all i can think of and cringe about is the downhill that comes with that well I, a long time ago i yeah it was a lot probably on my first al spell race Something like Perry's Horseshoe, I, when I couldn't walk afterwards because my quads were so trashed, I just thought, you've got to find a way of going downhill without trashing your quads. And so I've really worked on, on my posture going downhill and how to actually just run without impacting, um, on yeah, without trying to break. Obviously, you've got yeah. to break. But, and I think now that's it. I'm just very relaxed 
as I'm going downhill. I'm always really careful on the first couple of downhills until I sort of feel like my downhill muscles have warmed up a little bit. And I'm never one for flying downhill unless it's the last hill in a race. Um, I'll quite happily let everybody else fly down the hill and sprain their ankles. Uh, so I think that's, yeah, I can tend, I can tend downhill now and I, I rarely get trashed quads. I also go for sports massages, which do, they help a lot because I think a lot of knee problems actually come from tight quads or something else that's out of line and it all just transfers into the knee. What did you find was your biggest challenge when you'd done that Bob Graham round then? During the round? Yeah. Well, I think it was probably the lack of sleep. Mm. Um, and then my feet weren't too bad. My feet did swell up quite a lot, but luckily it was a fairly dry day and I actually changed into road shoes. Yeah, that got, really helped. Cause they you were got a size then or when your feet swell? Yeah, I think I went up a size into the road shoes yeah so the, the double ramsey that came after that then like it's a longer course obviously were you worried about the sleep deprivation then going into that not really because i think i was well i was just hoping to do the same thing have 10 minutes sleep when i could but that it didn't actually work on the ramsey i tried a <laughs> couple of times to have some sleep it just i just wasn't sleeping you weren't drinking um, the ice cream no, just being frustrated and cross, <laughs> just lying there. <laughs> it, it sounds like you're very yeah. hard on yourself during the rains, though. <laughs> yeah, well, you've, I think you've got to be. If you just wouldn't get, you wouldn't be strict with yourself, you wouldn't eat, you wouldn't look after yourself, your feet and everything. You wouldn't push yourself when you need to. Again, uh, 57,000 feet. There's not that much really difference, is there, really, in the Ramsey and the Bob? In any of the three rounds, really, they're all around the no, sort of fifty-six. It's, it's just down to the terrain and the remoteness of it all. So would you uh, would you say Paddy Puckney is the hardest one from a terrain perspective? Yeah, I think so. There's just so much sort of gnarly rock on there, and I think you get that long section that's really hard. Um, well, hard in that it's just fairly boggy and monotonous, and quite a lot of heather and gnarliness between Capel and Aberglassen, which um, just goes on forever. It's like seven hours or something. It's just... Torture. There's a lot of little bumps on it that you don't really feel like you're really achieving anything. And that that's what that's what did my head in when I did the double. 57 hours, that took one of Britain's best foul runners. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. You'd have to put one in front of that if I think I attempted that. Um, but I think it's around 130 miles. I'm not sure. 56,000 feet. Yeah. Um, how did that feel finishing that then, knowing that you'd done the double, triple? Is there such a thing? Oh no, I was really happy because also on the on the paddy, it all sort of went a bit pear shaped in the middle. Well, yeah, in the middle uh, at the end of the first round, and then I I did a different uh, format. I turned straight round and did the horrible seven hour leg again. Um, and so, yeah, that was fairly horrendous. But once I got to the end of that, I sort of figured out that, okay, well, I want to finish this thing. I'm not, yeah, I want to finish it. I'm, there's nothing actually wrong with me again. Um, I threw up in the middle of, well, I threw up at the end of the first round. So I was in energy deficit. And I think that also affected how I think. I'm not very positive when I'm in energy deficit. You're not making deficit. this sound very pretty, Nicky, at all. <laughs> It's not. <laughs> but you see, I can't. You can. 
you, you never sh- you should never just give up because it's not very pretty because like when I decided okay I want to finish it then I've got to go right well what can you do to, to so that you can finish it well it's obvious you've got to eat um, so yeah then so I started on I had noodles and uh, I just started eating them every don't know fifteen twenty minutes and having a gel and within about three hours I'd picked back up and I really enjoyed the last three three legs. Some of my supporters were like, what have you done to her? You've metamorphosized her into a cheery person because they'd put up with me for like seven hours being totally grumpy. And here I was being totally happy. Um, My feet were killing me, but I think that, yeah. Generally, my mood was a lot better because I knew I was going to finish. How does that feel when you come to the halfway point then? Because you've done the round once. Yeah. They're not easy. No. And you know... So I, yeah, I did the first round in, I think, 23. So I did the first round in under 24 hours, which was brilliant. But I just didn't feel great um, because my stomach was playing up. And, and then I, when I ate my baked beans or something, it did just, yeah, I just threw it back up. Um, so that's never great. So, yeah, although I was, yeah, I definitely wasn't happy. Um after doing the first round, knowing that I just I was going to turn around and do the horrible seven-hour leg all over again. That's been been pain on your mind until you got up to that point. Yeah, but it was it was by the time I'd got halfway through the horrible seven-hour leg, um, I was feeling a lot a lot more positive. I'd had a sort of chat with my supporters, and and, and I knew they were going to confirm what I wanted them to really that I should carry on. How important do you think that is then to have the right people around you? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the support. Well, it was Damien Hall on that leg, plus Kirsty Hewitson, and um, I mean Damien sort of. And there was an ad, Adam Micklethwaite who had a really lovely grin as well. I don't, I didn't know him as well, but the, just the three of them would. They just said all the right sort of things, and yeah. I mean, Damien, the, fir- the first thing Damien said to me when I said I wanted to stop, he says, "Well, you'll only come back and do the whole." whole lot again and it's a long way a long way to come now you've done like oh well over you've done one round and seven hours of the grotty leg and you'll come back you will come back and do it all over again and I just sort of looked at him and he was I knew he was dead right so it's certainly an easier option to carry on and do another 24 hours or something and come back and do 24 hours to get where I was at that point good crew and a real stubborn attitude I think yeah screaming out there like Damien's yeah. brilliant as well, and I suppose it's good to have somebody that's done rounds themselves so they know what you're going through. Because Damien holds the Paddy Buckley quote, yeah, um, who was on actually last week on the yeah. podcast, which was great. If I was going to do the, <laughs> don't say don't do it, by the way, that's not an answer, but if I was going to do the double Paddy Buckley rounds in a few months' time, what advice would you give me? Don't say don't do it. <laughs> 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 that's the easy answer. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Recky it, I suppose. Is that one of the key things to do the round then? Because we do have a, a Dennis ranking round here. Nobody, I, I planted the seed with Damien, by the way. I'll touch base him again to see what he take up the mantle. But nobody has yet attempted the double Dennis ranking round. It's 40,000 feet, I think, the double, and it'll be about 108 miles. So it's not too far off. It's yeah. Ma- it's maybe five or 6,000 feet off each of the rounds. But wrecking is the biggest thing, I suppose. Yeah, because things aren't the same going the other way around. You know, you, you can't find certain paths that 
and certain routes going up you wouldn't use coming down and, and things just look really different so i would i would definitely i spent a lot of time wrecking the paddy anti-clockwise because i knew it quite well clockwise but yeah it's all well in fact we we, we i went i still went wrong going clock anti-clockwise in the dark i still went wrong and ended up in some horrendous gorse that lost me 20 minutes but 57 minutes, uh, 57 hours, you know, that's a lot of sleep deprivation, like it's two and a half days, is it? It is, yeah. Yeah, I did get 10 minutes on the on the paddy. I, um, I, it was Sunday night again. Um, and I, I sort of, I was walking down a track and I just, I felt tired. So I started shutting my eyes a bit and tried to walk with my eyes shut. Yeah. So I think by the time I'd got to the van, I'd done this about four times. And so I was in that sort of, right, I'm gonna, I need sleep, I'm going to sleep. And Charmaine said I was out like a light. Um, yeah, just, I sort of said, I'm going to sleep. And she said, you just, you just sort of like keeled over and went to sleep in all your clothes and everything. <laughs> like anything at all helps. I did, um, I paused there because I want to keep on repeating what races I did because I'm sure the listeners are <laughs> sick of hearing them. That's why I have to keep on doing races, keep it fresh. Um, but <laughs> there was a race across Wales there called the Rebellion. Um, it was a 75-mile race that we did in, I think it was the start of November or the end of October. I was walking down the lane. I actually put the poles out either side of me to feel the ditch and just close my eyes and yeah. try to just rest whilst I was walking on. And I used the poles actually just to keep me in the middle of the, of the road. Now, there wasn't much traffic. It was like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But by the end of that half a mile, I, I felt absolutely refreshed. The difference yeah. that that made, like the, the smallest bit of rest and sort of help just break that cycle of tiredness. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What about, yeah. Your, what about feet maintenance then? I'm sort of, we've sort of got our, our eyes on the, the local round. Um, one thing I do really struggle with is my feet and obviously getting the right socks and getting the right shoes and having to be able to change them um, but a lot of these bogs are very wet aren't they it's not like you're going to keep your feet dry no um I'm, my feet seem happier when they're cold and wet do you think it's just a matter of just going through it and getting on with it and just being comfortable with that what cold and wet feet yeah oh yeah I, I wouldn't sort of yeah, I'd just go with the neoprene socks. Uh, Innovate do some neoprene socks now. Um, they're like, we used to use the old diving, well, not old, but we used to use diving socks that are sort of neoprene. Okay. And they sort of keep your feet warm even when they're, obviously they let the water in. So and Innovate shoes let the water in, let it back out again. So I think once you, I'd put a pair of normal socks um, under these neoprene socks if it's really cold. I find that works as well. And yeah, that really helps. And other than that, yeah, you just have to, your feet get cold and wet and then they warm up at times. I think I have more trouble with my feet when it's hot and dry. They swell up quite a lot. Yes. But I, and I don't really get so many blisters as such, but I used to get, because I wear wellies all day, I've got quite a lot of hard skin and the hard skin used to, the friction of the hard skin rubbing against the soft skin underneath and I used to like the whole of my heel would, would become one big blister but what I do now is I put Compede that heel crack cream yeah. on I, I put I put that on I don't know for about three months before I do a, a hundred mile race and that seems to really help so it's, it's quite obvious you've got a really good skill for being pig ignorant and stubborn 
Um, no, matter, <laughs> yeah. no matter how far or how hard you're going to complete that race. Um, but you are quite competitive over, if you look at the likes of the Fellman, you you won it four years in a row. It's a 97 kilometer sort of race. Um, yeah. And like you went to UTMB in 2012, which is just a huge iconic race. And you were the 12th woman. Yeah. Do you enjoy those type of races as much as the rounds? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think they're, they're different, though. Um, so, I mean, the UTMB is absolutely huge. And I don't think I'll do it again. Well, I won't. Um, I did it in 2013 or 14, And then again, two years later, I didn't get in for one year. Um, and I went and did Chapel Bell in the middle. And I enjoyed that a lot more. And the uh, Ultra Tour Monte Rosa, I think, as well, I enjoyed more because mm. it's just more low-key and less, less people. You came um, first in that race as well. Yeah, Monte Rosa, yeah. Um, do you find you're extremely competitive then when you're in those races? I set off saying that I'm not going to be. <laughs> and then when I get near the front, <laughs> um, if I see the leading lady and I know I can beat her, then I, yeah, I will. And then once I'm past her, I'll, I'll stick at it. Do you like doing different courses then and seeing courses for the first time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I'm not one of... I can't spend the time, spare the time to go and recce. Um, so most of the races I do abroad, I, I'm doing it on site. Um, I was quite surprised where the UTMB was quite as well marked as what it was. I'd actually taken maps. Yeah, because you don't have to think about it in UTMB at all. No. The trail is just... yeah. You just follow the trail. I'm okay because I'm always following people. <laughs> That's why yeah. if I was out of front, I'd be in trouble. Well, yeah, there's just not so many people on the UTMR. But even on the UTMB, I was on my own for quite a lot. Just finishing up with last year then, the double party Buckley round, that just, I remember the hype and you were actually doing that. And it was, because it's such a hard round. So many people have failed going round once. Um, it was amazing to see that. What time of year was that? May. Yeah, I like May for doing rounds. Was that just after you went to the Barclay then? Yeah, well, uh, a couple of months, yeah. Time. So how was your experience on the Barclay? Was it what you expected? A lot of it was. It was hotter than I expected during the day and then colder than I'd, I expected overnight. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's very extreme, isn't it, from once? Yeah. Do you think that's the biggest challenge of that race? that you had anyway, your experience? There's no, I don't think there's really one like specific thing with the Barclay that makes it hard. It is actually the combination of everything. It could be the weather one year and, and then the time that you set off the next year. I think the fog has always been, everybody's always talked about the fog and it is you know, obviously fog in the wood, uh, in the forest, is, it's just you can't see a thing and you, you, you just rely completely on your compass then. Yeah, and even in the fog, even when you know where you're at, yeah. you're double doubting yourself, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to run with Billy and um, Steph all that time was just incredible. I don't know that I, any of us would have got as far as what we did. I mean, day, the, during the day was would have been okay because it was obviously it was clear and sunny and hot. But um, as soon as we went off on that second loop, we just needed each other. Yeah, do you think it can be quite dangerous, though? Because... The temperatures got pretty cool, didn't they? And watching the, the the Innovate film that had gone out, and we actually did the podcast with Billy Reed as well. 
Um, yeah. It, it seemed to come across pretty dangerous. I think everybody would have been, well, most people would have been with somebody else. And you're never that far from a road when you sort of look at it. So no matter what, you've got your compass, you know, you can point it one direction. At least you know you're going in one direction. You'll come to a road at some stage of the game. Yeah. Were you disappointed after? Oh, yeah, I was really disappointed. I think we all were because when it's such a sort of fundamental, like, mistake that you've made, like you haven't taken enough clothes, but then the forecast was just completely wrong. It was supposed to rain for two hours and after five hours, and it didn't look like it was going to let up and it had turned to snow. I think that's what made us, we were all like, we're absolutely frozen. There was one part in the video, because I had already done the podcast with Billy, obviously, when he came home and heard his story about it. And when I was watching the video when it came out, and there was one part when you were just back and you were getting ready to go out again, and you said, Billy's going out in his shorts. And I went, oops, because <laughs> <laughs> I already knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And you could see it unfolding because you already knew yeah. what, you, what the story was. I'm actually going to the Barclay Classic this year. Yeah, I'd seen that on Facebook, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. What tips would you give me? My um, plan for it really is just to get as fit as I can and try and hold on to somebody that has knows their way around the course. Yeah, I haven't looked into the uh, how it how it goes about. Whether you, do you not know where you're going then? Um, I think my understanding of it is it's the Matt. same as the first loop of the Barclay, so it's just one loop. Yeah, I mean, you just want some really steep hills up and down. I wore some, like, cycling gloves because when it's so steep and you're trying to go downhill, you're actually grabbing hold of the trees to stop yourself from our bramble bashes if you're going off the trails. But I thought that the... I thought that the, um, this race didn't go off the trails that much. I haven't really looked into it. Right, okay. I haven't looked at yeah, it at all. I'm useless that way. Deep downs and, and watch the um, the forecast. <laughs> if it says it's going to rain, then take, take some really decent waterproofs. So from a round perspective, you've done so much. Like what like what else is there on Nicky Spink's bucket list? Um, well, I, I really enjoyed the Tour de Géants in September and I'm hoping to get back into do that race again that's the one 300 kilometers from from Cormier around the Aosta Valley yeah. what is it you like about that race the pain <laughs> no the scenery was stunning and the checkpoints were, were fantastic and the organization's just really low-key and yeah and then there's the sleep deprivation thing which I seem to be reasonably good at and actually I don't think I was grumpy in that race very often um Paul Turdy supported me and he was fantastic oh that's um, right yeah yeah so yeah I'd like to go out and do that again this year what would your expectations be going back to that race would you just be hoping to break your time or just yeah I think I mean obviously I'd like to break my time but there's the weather plays a big part in in that and just how you feel I mean there's always going to be something that goes a little bit wrong yeah do you find that you're always gonna like if somebody opened up a race of 400 kilometers around the alps you're going to be jumping onto that and then two years time is a 500 there's no end to it yeah i, I do think i ought to sort of stop up in the distance which well i'm not going to do i'm not going to increase the distance this year the tour de geance is because they do do a glaciers one which i think 400 kilometers but actually i'd just rather do the short but it is it's once, once you get into that you just find out there's just all of these races that exist that you never knew about 
um, yeah. especially some of the low key ones. And I do find, even though it's obviously you have to take boxes, the likes of the UTMB, etc. But you do find that the low key ones are a bit more intimate and a bit yeah. more enjoyable. Yeah, no, I really like the the more low key ones. You know, where you can rock up sort of an hour before the start, and like the UTMB when you have to. Well, you don't have to, but yeah, I just like sort of more low key and relaxed. What do you think? What do you think is your out of all of these here? What do you think is your biggest achievement? Um, I mean, initially, I think it was. It still is. Oh, I don't know. It's really hard. I mean, there's the Ladies Lake District Twenty Four Hour record that I yeah, yeah. did in 2011. 64 peaks. That 64, was just, yeah. That when was... I was quite unknown and I just, I suppose it just showed that somebody suggested it to me, a friend, and I just went and had a look at it and thought, actually, yeah, I think I could do this. <laughs> um, but nobody knew who I was or anything. And I think to somebody, and it just took everybody by surprise when I did. Because that was outstanding, wasn't it? 64 peaks. Yeah. Do you know what the elevation was on that? No. Yeah. But, well, I don't think I was wearing a proper watch back then. But that was absolutely outstanding. Like, and but you've so yeah. you've such and then, a. I mean, the double Bob Graham. Yeah. It's a record now, and then doing, but then doing the other two, as well. Um, so yeah. What about the Barkley then? One question I didn't ask is, are you going back? Now I could see that the disappointment in Lazarus Lake's face. When you come back and you hear the tone in his voice, you're like, oh, no, it's not Nicky. Yeah. They told me you were invincible. Because he really does want to see a woman beat the Barclay, no matter what he says. Yeah, I think he does, yeah. So is that something you'd go back to? Well, I'd hope to. I'd hope to go back, but it all depends on Laz and a lot of other things, so we'll see. A lot of planning has to come together, like, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Nicky, thanks very much. I know it was a bit... Last minute, so that's my Last fault. Last minute, no, it's not your <laughs> fault at all. We, we've we got a brilliant round over here, the Dennis Rankin round. Um, I was sort of hoping you were coming over to smash the records when you were over here at Christmas. <laughs> um, <laughs> I planted the seed with Damien as well, so I think there could be a race between yourself and Damien, who's going to do the double ranking round first. Oh, right, yeah. I'm um, not trying to plant any seeds or anything like that, but just throwing that out there. Um, Nikki, thanks a lot for giving me your time. I really appreciate it today. That's okay. Um, anytime you're coming over, give us a shout. We'll definitely take you for a spin up the mons. It'd be magic. Okay, that's brilliant. Well, I've just entered the 7-7, seven, seven, so... Oh, have you? Um, yeah. That... I don't know how... Well, I hope it'll fit in with farming and everything, so I hope to get over there. So I just thought... Yeah, I did really enjoy going across the moors, even though the wind was really horrendous. They're quite, um, they're quite stiff climbs. Yeah, you know, they're quite up and down. They're almost yeah. like pyramids. Yeah, um, no. So, well, that'd be class. So there'll be a big crowd at the seven sevens then. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll plug that. Okay. Okay, Nikki. Thanks very much. Talk All to right. you soon. Yep. Cheers. Bye. Okay. Yep. Bye. Nikki Spinks is one of my favourite runners, an amazing ultra-endurance fell runner. It's a shame that I didn't get time to prepare for the podcast, but I'm really having a laugh as I rarely get the opportunity to plan. I loved it. It was a great experience. I hope you did too. If so, why not drop us a message on our Facebook page or share the podcast to one of your friends. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.